Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? another episode of the anarchist experience episode 450 aka year nine week 26 uh coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr rich e rich and i am joined by the returning after what seems like a month away mc and ks welcome back gentlemen i know ks that we probably could have worked something out but it was you know with mc being your tech guy uh it was (laughs) it was just a lot easier for me to do the the Richie Rich reads the news for a few weeks and then reconvene. So welcome back, gentlemen. Uh, this is the live now Saturday broadcast. Uh, when I don't have you two, I don't do a live show because what's the point of that? Um, so we are back on Clubhouse. Um, the club is still the Anarchist Experience. You can still at me at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H, and participate in the live show. Um, yeah, other than that, what's going on with you guys this week? Or how was your trip Tell us about it. What did you learn? Anything newsworthy to report? Mm, newsworthy. Um, not really. Um, Thailand is doing great. Um, they're uh, seemingly improving all the time. Um, the, the amount of cars on the road has uh, continued to uh, increase versus the amount of mopeds. So uh, I think probably the population is aging. That's probably half of, <laughs> half of it. Um, COVID seems to have uh, started the the revolution of people ordering food from their uh, from their homes and and having somebody deliver it. So most of the people on the mopeds are like delivery people. <laughs> nice. Um, so, Real quick, I, I went to the post office earlier today, and they still have the floor mats on the floor to like keep your distance and thank you for social distancing. Oh, of yeah. course, they're stuck permanently. Right. And I, I don't know if, you know, they're not, they're not officially a government agency, right? But they're, they're as close as you get to one without actually being one. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're still stuck in the COVID generations. Plexiglass up and everything. Come on, man. Everyone <laughs> else is over this. Just take it down. Yeah. Um, so I, I visited Japan for the first time, uh, Tokyo and surrounding areas. And uh, I made a comment to KS uh, already about this and, um, so a lot of people complain that Japan, uh, their economy isn't growing anymore. And what I noticed was like, how, how much more could they possibly grow? I mean, they've got this beautiful, amazing city, the biggest city in the world. Um, they've got, you know, this amazing transportation system, uh, sky rises everywhere and, uh, it's clean, it's, um, modern. And so they, they don't have very high uh, anywhere higher to go really seemingly. And, uh, you know, what, what a, what a great place to stop growing is when you're at the top, right? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I, there's a, there's another podcast, uh, that I listen to sovereign tech. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's worth listening to, but he takes things from like a tech and angle and he, I don't think he's ever mentioned Japan specifically, but one of the concepts, uh, he promotes is innovation beyond perfection. 
right? And he's like, you know, the problem with capitalism is Can that you they're do all- something for me real quick. What's that? Just wiggle your cable a little bit. It's buzzing really bad. Okay. <laughs> I haven't touched it. It's off to the side. So I, I'm wiggling. Is it wiggling? No. <laughs> Are you sure it's not your cable? No, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll have to dig around at a later time and see if I can find it. Actually, yeah, I'm sure it's yours because when I uh, un- unplug my cable entirely and just use the phone, I still hear yeah. it coming through the phone. Uh, yeah, no worries. I believe I believe you. I just it's It's hard to troubleshoot here. Because oh, yeah. I don't hear it, and it doesn't show up on the recording. And so, so I'll have to dig around my audio boxes and see if I can find another cable or order another one. Can, can you swap it around, put the other end in the other end? Uh, yeah, stand by. How's that? No. <laughs> like I said, I have more. I just, this is not the opportune time to troubleshoot sure. it. Yeah. Yeah, it just got really bad all of a sudden. Oh, all right. well. well. I apologize. I'll live with it. Thank you. See, no, it just went away. Okay, good. And I, again, I didn't touch it. You just have to be thankful. Okay, there you go. <laughs> the, the universe abides. So go on. You were talking so to KS we were talk, about... We were talking about beyond perfection. So tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So it's just, he blames, like, he, he's, he's a self-proclaimed individualist anarchist, but an anti-capitalist. So he's kind of a lefty in general. I don't think he would disagree with that. Um, but he blames capitalism saying that capitalism is always worried about the next thing, right? They, they're always innovating towards what's next. And so a lot of times they reach a level of like, this is the perfect product or the perfect service, right? You're not going to gain any improvements from here by minor, by altering it in any minor or significant way, right? But the capitalist system requires that you do so. And so companies will innovate beyond perfection, um, and that's, you know, and, and that sounds like what, you know, when people are saying like Japan is stagnant, right? Well, they've, they've hit such a high level. Maybe it is perfect. Maybe it's not perfect. Uh, but they're at such a, a technological advantage in those areas that any sort of innovation beyond that would likely be detrimental uh, to their overall system rather than improve it in any way. Like every, everyone else ought to catch up to them, right? And then if, if, if improvements can be made, great. Um, but right now they're at the, the pinnacle, it sounds like to you. And I just want to throw that concept out there. Yeah. I mean, you never can really tell. And so like, imagine back in the day, like, oh, well, we need all these huge subways and sky trains and everything to get everybody to around where they need to go to, you know, buy products, but it might be more efficient to have the products come to you. Yeah. And so because of the internet revolution now, maybe a lot of those things are just not necessary. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask that the same about Thailand when you mentioned the cars and the mopeds, right? Like, if is is having more cars in that area better? You know? Yeah. And is, or would moped, you know, because it seems to me in a lot, like, I see videos of, I'm going to call it, you know, less than first world areas where they, the street laws are different and there's no lines or lights. I go, man, that's excellent. You know, <laughs> like, wait, why can't we evolve to that? <laughs> uh, but a lot of it is, you know, just random happen chance and people on mopeds who know what they're doing because that's kind of the environment they grew up in, right? But if you add more cars, does that not make it more dangerous for the people still on the mopeds? You know what mm, I mean? Most, like this, most likely, yes. Does does the does the rules of the road, whether or not they're the government rules of the road, but do the rules of the road need to evolve in Thailand uh, to catch up to the now abundance of cars on the road? 
I don't have a good answer. I'm just throwing the question out there. A couple of thoughts come to mind, not on this point, but on ones that were earlier raised. Um, one, when you mentioned this guy as a, a individualist, anti-capitalist, I always think of that as sort of a contradiction because, well, I suppose um, how one defines each of those, but I'm trying to think, um, what does he envision his life to be if not capitalist? I mean, I see the alternative as, as somebody controlling him and capitalist is that he's in control of himself. But maybe he's got an entirely different definition that I'm not aware of. Yeah, and lefties usually do. So I, you know, I, I know him personally. I could message him if I wanted to, and I'm sure he would engage a discussion privately or publicly on it. I just haven't. Um, okay. Then another thought that comes to my mind has to do with the uh, Japan. I lived there for a couple of years, and uh, this was a long time ago. But if it stagnated, then I'm guessing that. Uh, from what I know about Japan, that it hasn't changed all that much, and that it's uh, stagnated at this kind of thing. When one goes there as a traveler, especially as a gaijin, a, a foreign Westerner, uh, and travels with um, money, you know, to 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 get nice hotels and nice accommodations and so on like that. Um, yes, it's it's a glorious place, but I think it, for the normal person, the company man in japan it's working 10 hours a day maybe the requirement is only eight but the only way to keep in good graces with your boss and your company is to go 10 hours a day or or more um staying with the company uh after hours um, you know long meals and dinners and all to keep in good graces with them women are treated very much poorly than they are in other western societies in terms of their opportunities for advancement um their homes are much, much smaller and with much fewer conveniences than, than we have. Opportunities for travel are good because they do have a high savings rate and they do spend it on travel. But when they buy things, it's very expensive in Japan um, compared to a lot of other places. So that means they sacrifice a lot of other things. So that, that's a, a thought that comes to my mind that it's... Um, why would growth and prosperity benefit them? It would probably mean that they could spend fewer hours at work and greater hours at, at leisure, a, a better lifestyle. That if you had the choice, you might you might opt for the um, okay. um, a bigger house, which is very very tough to find there. So I I will do my best to rebut that. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily am about to agree with what I say. But it's it's it sounds similar to claims people make about um, like the Netherlands, right? Like, look how great that is. They're they're socialist and they have a high, you know, the highest happiness rate in all the world, and you know their their income is great. But they're all taken care of, and it, th- that aspect of things just works. Um, and I I might suggest that in Japan, um, yes, uh, the the you know the the employees. And what they give back to the company is might be a little excessive. I have seen stories online. I don't know how true they are that it's okay to take a nap at your desk at work because it shows the boss that you're working hard and you've worn yourself out. And so to catch a nap between your shift, you know, between while you're on the clock, but you know, between what you're doing, uh, shows your dedication that you're willing to rest um, so you can work hard longer later, as you pointed out. Um, and I would also suggest that. In the what we have experienced in the United States, 
uh, in the, I'm going to say the age of automation is that that doesn't add to more leisure time for the workers. So in Japan, if they, you know, if they were to advance even further, uh, the likelihood is the company owners, the executives, right, will reap the benefits of those advancements and they would still require their workers to put in their 50, 60 hours or whatever. And that, that would not trickle down necessarily the way we always imagined it would. Well, that's a good point. Um, and I think that that's possible. I mean, that exists because it's a tightly controlled society. For example, in the United States, there's so many opportunities to just leave the company and strike out and start your own business. In Japan, it's much, much more difficult because there's so many rules and regulations that favor the big established company and crush the new entrepreneurial ventures that would allow you just to leave the company. I mean, why should you have to be always catering to what the boss wants? Well, because the company, the big established name company, is the path to a success, uh, I mean, to, to a successful life in Japan. Whereas in the United States... You've got many, many more options to choose from, many of which are starting your own business or going off with a multitude of competitors. In Japan, that's much more regulated so that you have government-mandated um, um, companies with restrictions of entry and, and restrictions of performance that, that keep it tightly controlled. And I would say that it contributes a lot to their stagnation. I mean, the, the reason for their stagnation... They had a, a big boom, but then it collapsed because of the, I would say, their their um, monetary and fiscal policies are all government okay. run and highly corrupt. I'm again, I hear what you're saying, and I'll just I'm going to throw this back to MC in a second, but I I will still counter that with ad, with advanced as they are, the argument could be made that they got there because of the way they do things, right? And and they continue that way because it's the it's part of the culture. Right. And what you're suggesting is more of a political advancement, right? You know, uh, towards more, uh, less regulation and opening up the economy to that side of things. Um, but MC, you know, jump in. Um, you seem to think that they, they have peaked on the technology <laughs> side. And so, you know, I we're really not there yet. <clears throat> just talking about just the technology, but I'm just talking about the infrastructure in general. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like, yeah, but is, is that, more, is that really? brought to them because of the government restrictions, right? I or mean, does it exist I think, outside of I it? I think, I think Tokyo is pretty much a centrally planned uh, city. I'm, I mean, <laughs> huge infrastructure spending and that, you know, that happened a long time ago, but um, I think beyond that, uh, it, it is a lot of uh, cu cultural uh, way of doing things. And, and of course the government intrusion, um, but the cultural thing, I, I wanted to kind of bring in South Korea to this too. So okay. uh, J Japan has a declining birth rate, and but the highest in the world is South Korea. And uh, so one of the things that South Koreans are, are worried about is that, you know, kind of similar in Japan is, is the cost of living. And so they, they, they're afraid to have kids because they're afraid that they'll cost too much. Um, I'm sure, I but, think that's happening here as well with the millennials one, one and Gen the, Z and... One of the reasons why they think kids cost much is because they're, and th this was explained in a video I watched yesterday, is that they're, they're trying to keep up with their neighbors. And they really care about what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of shoes they wear, uh, how much, you know, places they have to travel to. And 
to show off and, and, uh, you know, it matters which school their kids go to. And, and so it's just, it's, it's all these built up, you know, uh, you know, I guess the left would say that, you know, the, the materialist capitalist kind of, uh, problems. Um, but, uh, some of that is just there, there is a, a lot of, you know, things that people want and they make that choice that these things are more important than kids. So it's like, uh, you know, and I, I can't blame them. I still don't have any kids and I'm 45 almost. No, 45 today. It's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Facebook didn't notify me, so I don't pay attention to those things. Yeah. So anyway, declining population around the world and all kinds of, and all kinds of, uh, countries okay. and nations but but um specifically in japan and in uh south korea but i think i think a lot of it's cultural but also it's just kind of a, a greed thing where they uh they assume that they need all these things before they can make babies yeah i don't oh i i will grant because i'm not there and i don't look at it there that that's possible in south korea and japan i think if you would talk to the average uh, millennial, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever, whatever we're up to now here, um, it's it's it has nothing to do with keeping up with the Joneses. It's I work a I work a bullshit uh, you know I, I work overtime hours for bullshit pay to quote the song right. I live in a tiny apartment with roommates right. Like all my money is taken from me by the government, or a lot of them will blame the employer for not paying enough. I can barely afford to live myself, let alone provide for another person, another human being. And my understanding is that babies are not particularly cheap. And the, you know, the, the total cost over, you know, the, the 18 years that you're responsible for them um, can be upwards in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's, that's the average, right? So they're, they're, they're not making money. They can't afford the house to raise them and you want them to you want them to go like third world and have a whole bunch of babies in like a one bedroom hut but that one bedroom hut's an apartment owned by somebody else with roommates you know or the family home right because our parents uh were like hit them hit the jackpot as when to be alive for the most part and i think that plays more into it than well, I would have a baby, but I really prefer my latte and my new Suzuki out, you know, ATV. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that that's where the money's going. I don't know. At least, here. <laughs> At least here. I mean, talk to them. Like, how, you know, the, the, the mainstream media, when they show like, oh, what it costs to, you know, for an average person to live in XY city in Baltimore, right, has such an ex- exaggerated, uh, opinion on what people are making that every you know everyone who's sub that line uh you know knows right like the, this is you know the the most people are not in the six figures and we're approaching the six figures as to what it takes you know to rent a two-bedroom apartment in a lot of cities right like if, if rent if rent is two grand a month and that's just rent and you go like well okay the 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 the, the apartment dweller or the the landlord will require you to make three times as much because that's for whatever reason the industry standard, right? Then you're talking about someone have to making six grand a month to afford a two thousand dollar rent. You know that's 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 what seventy two thousand a year, right? And that that's to rent an average apartment. That's not what it takes to like buy a home 
or make a car payment on top of that or buy food, which is going up, right? You can't, you can't go to like the used food store and get cheap groceries like you can, you know, the used car dealership or more mopeds or, you know, which won't work here. I'm in New England, right? Mo- you can only ride a moped about six months out of the year and then you need something with coverage and the bus system isn't that great, right? So every everything is going up around them and us, I'll include me, around us, uh, except wages. And, they go like, and, and then you want to throw a kid on top of that, a, a single kid. Right. Let alone the uh, let alone the you know uh, replacement birth rate of two. Well, I I think that historically speaking, I mean the, the number of hours that somebody had to work <clears throat> in order to earn their food, clothing, and shelter was a lot more, and yet they had a lot more children. Um, we may think that the cost of living is so high and, and going up more rapidly than wages, but I mean compared to previous generations, um, we're much more prosperous in what an hour's worth of wage is able to buy and certainly the varieties of things and the things we can do with that if we go back to our parents or grandparents who were alive during the Great Depression. They had lots of kids, very little income. Um, yeah, and, and they were was, selling uh, them on the streets and giving them away. Well, <laughs> I would say in those days they cared very much for their children. Maybe there were some desperate situations then as there are now Many, many places in the world, but uh, no, I would say that prosperity is the greatest form of birth control. It basically has your mind attentive to a lot more things in life that you can do with your time and your energies and in a simpler time of much greater poverty, you know, people had just immediately what was around them to focus on and that was their family. So family was much more important to most people, I think. I, I, I would probably suggest that's not a byproduct of poverty or that that's a byproduct of poverty insofar as there was less to do and so you had sex and there was and less access say, to birth control so there were more repercussions. I'd say also there were the increased role of government diminished the, the necessity for um, family fabric. In other words, now the government says, don't worry about your future. You've got you taken care of with Social Security. Don't worry about uh, medical care. You, you don't have to rely on kids to help you out through hard times. We've got Medicare. Yeah, I'll don't agree with that. Don't worry about um, um, your savings. Uh, we'll come up with the welfare. In other words, uh, the government's increased role in um, presumably taking care of people's uh, every need, the less interest they had in cultivating a, a family that would have some um, supportive effort all along. Yeah. In, in uh, South Korea, they, they went one step too far, in my opinion. They decided, well, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll give you a little robot that talks to you when you're old. <laughs> so they've got these little robots that, that, that talk, and they remind you to take your medication and tell you, oh, you need to live longer. <laughs> I, I will definitely agree that the government plays a role, right? Because in what I was, was going to say at the end of the, my last statement was, you know, the, the only people that are like legitimately having babies that can afford them are people who are wealthy enough, you know, and, and have gotten past that, you know, poverty line um, and can afford, you know, oh, yes, you know, little Susan goes to private school, right? Those people um, and those that can't afford the birth control, right, and are then reliant on government programs, so if you, you know, if you want to have a baby and you're like, 
low middle class, you probably can't afford it, at least now, right? But if you're if you're a single mom and you get your you you, you know you get your your wick and your food stamps and whatever you know your your basic necessities taken care of by the state, and you throw them in the public school so that you can go work a part time evening job or something like that, right? Or a part time job during the day so you can pick them up in the evening. Uh, then, then you are taken care of at the dime of other people. And that dime of other people is then taken away from their opportunity to have a family of their own and family being important back in the day, again, is, you know, is, is why you would have the children, right? We need lots of children. So someone cares for us in our old age, or we need lots of children because they're going to be, you know, that's what summer vacation is for, right? To go back to the farm and help the family harvest, right? But you don't, you don't, that doesn't exist anymore. And so that's a cultural shift that, that likely changed the way people thought about it, right? If they're get if you're going to be on social security and getting your government handout and you don't need help, you know, you got a little robot to take care of you in the future, South Korea, I'm sure that'll be here soon. Well then, yeah, you know, it's, it's too expensive to raise a kid because there's no benefit on, it's not an investment on, it's not an investment in your future care. It's a liability to your present to your present situation. KS MC. Anyhow, um, we got headlines. Sure. Uh, headline: Neo Marxism and the end of language. How globalist oligarchs are targeting Western meaning. Uh, headline: Chicago is so unpleasant. How unpleasant are they? Uh, migrants are fleeing back to Venezuela after being dumped in shelters and refused jobs. With over 20,000 border crossers so far busted, bust to dem run sanctuary cities. Uh, headline LA, Los Angeles, wants to commandeer vacant hotel rooms and homeless house as homeless housing. Uh, headline January 6th rider known as the QAnon shaman is now running for Congress. Uh, headline The Jones Act helps sink New Jersey offshore wind project. Headline The more complex the society, the less government control we need. Uh, headline trans activist owner of Miss Universe pageant goes bankrupt one year after purchase. And finally, headline Kansas thinks that you need 1,000 hours of training uh, to remove hair. Hmm. Which one of those floats uh, your boat? Venezuela. Venezuela. Hold on. Now I got to find it. Okay. Chicago is so unpleasant. How unpleasant are they? Uh, migrants are fleeing back to Venezuela after being dumped in shelters and refused jobs. Uh, since August last year, 20,700 20, migrants have arrived in Chicago from Texas. The Lone Star State's Governor Greg Abbott sent migrants to Chicago and other Democrat-run cities because of their proud status as sanctuary cities. They offer enhanced protection against detention and deportation uh, for undocumented migrants. Now, Illinois' harsh winters, lack of migrant infrastructure, and ambivalent support from locals have made many people who undertook the harsh U.S.-Mexico border journey, actually turn around and go back home. Venezuelan-born uh, Michael Castejon, 39, and his family have been sleeping on the floor of police stations and shelters after he could not afford to pay rent in Chicago because his work permit was taking so long to arrive. The family was renting an apartment through a city voucher program that gives up to $15,000 for up to six months of rental assistance, but once it ran out, they had to give up their living space. The dad found a job in construction and he was getting paid in cash. But it wasn't enough to sustain his family since they arrived in June. 
After five months of rough living with no end in sight, the family decided to pack up their belongings and return to South America, realizing that there's nothing here for us. Castejon said the failure, uh, the failed journey to settle in the U.S. had not been worth it, despite the extreme poverty, poverty and authoritarian regime they were living under in Venezuela. After months of begging for money and crossing borders, the dreams he had heard from other migrants had failed to materialize for him, he revealed. Uh, he told the Chicago Tribune, the American dream doesn't exist anymore. There's nothing here for us. We didn't know things would be this hard. I thought the process was faster. He said about the job permit situation in Chicago. How many more months of living on the streets will it take? No, no more. It's better that I leave. At least I have my mother back home. We just want to be home. If we're going to be sleeping in the streets here, we'd rather be sleeping in the streets over there. Uh, Castellon's stepdaughter, Andrea Carolina Sevilla, could not find a school to be enrolled in when they arrived in the U.S., despite one of the reasons they left their native home was to give her a better education. He is not the only migrant uh, in Chicago who is realizing that the reality of asylum-seeking is not what they had imagined. Chicago's cold weather is creeping up, and many migrants still sleeping on the streets are forced to lay on wet, cold mattresses. The city is also notorious for violent crimes, which, with migrants forced to sleep in public, more vulnerable to attack than most. At least 40 people in the last month have left Chicago's first district station to either move back home or elsewhere in the states with the help of Catholic Charities of Chicago. According to the Tribune, uh, migrants eat standing up and have to rub their hands together to keep warm because of the lack of facilities. Uh, Brayon Lozano, head of the volunteer group of the police station's response team, said, The word of the situation in Chicago is beginning to spread. Lozano said the city's resources have been exhausted and the resettlement program now cannot take the strain of the number of migrants flooding in. Another uh, migrant, Jose Now, uh, 22, was forced to sleep in a police station in Chicago for two weeks before deciding to travel back to Texas. He moved to the Windy City to see the hype for himself, but soon realized life was not better. Diana Vera, who moved to Chicago with her three children and daughter-in-law, uh, have also decided to quit the city for better opportunity elsewhere. They had been living on the floor in the police station for a month. Boarding a bus to Detroit, Vera said, We heard that there are a lot of jobs over there, even if you don't have a permit. This comes at a fraught time for Chicago and its residents. Furious protesters stormed a Chicago City Council meeting last week during a debate about whether the city should remain a sanctuary for migrants. The meeting was called after Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beale, who oversees a district in the predominantly black South Side, proposed an advisory referendum that would ask voters during the March primary if Chicago should keep its sanctuary city status. Progressives in Chicago are outraged that a move to end Chicago's status as a sanctuary city is even being considered for the ballot. But many of the city's residents, including a large number of who those themselves are ethnic minorities, are keen to end the Windy City's sanctuary city status. Many residents express frustration about the millions of dollars the city was spending on migrant shelters instead of Chicago's most impoverished communities. As of September, there are 20 active migrant shelters in the city. Seven were located on the historically underserved south and west sides. More than 20,000 migrants have touched down in Chicago since last year. While most hail from Venezuela, they come from all over the world, including Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. The city has allocated $4 million to help migrants find temporary housing, and the state has contributed another $38 million. Since August 2022, Chicago has opened its doors to tens of thousands of migrants sent by Abbott and non-government organizations in states such as Colorado and New York.
the majority are seeking asylum due to U.S. foreign policy that has created unstable economic and political conditions, compromising their safety and forcing them to travel thousands of miles to safety, uh, the City of Chicago website reads. It adds, U.S. cities have not traditionally had infrastructure uh, to resettle high numbers of migrants uh, and refugees. This is a federal responsibility. End of the article. So is this a uniquely Chicago problem, or is there something more to this? Well, I think I think Chicago has a lot of problems to begin with, mm. and people are leaving places like Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco and New York City. Um, so, yeah, it's like, why would you want to go somewhere people are fleeing already? Because it's um, a sanctuary city. Like, you're allowed to be there, even if you're, I mean, quote-unquote, illegal. Sure. I don't know. I, I wouldn't advise anybody from Venezuela to go to Chicago. Let's put it that way. Would no, you still weather, advise them to, the to make the journey to, to the United States? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, chaos on that. The, the weather is horrible there. Um, Texas would probably be a better option. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be sleeping outside, the weather, the weather doesn't matter if you have housing, man. Like, I live in New England. I bought a jacket, right? My, my car is in the shop right now getting uh, new tires put on there because... I'm preparing for the snow. So I'm getting, you know, I'm getting appropriate all season, all weather tires for that very reason. I'll be fine. Right. Because I, I have a job um, and I mitigate my expenses. I think if it was more legalized just to come over here, that, that there would be like, you know, like the Chinese have, they have a, you know, little China and all the cities, you know, (laughs) so there would be little Venezuelas everywhere and there'd be people to help them move and help them get jobs and stuff like that. But as, as if you want to move to Chicago and have the government take care of you and tell you where you can work or not work, and that's, that's not really an option to me. Now the key is the jobs, you know, they don't allow them to work. I mean, they, they would solve their own problem if they're allowed to work. They're the hardest workers. I mean, ask anybody, you know, who, who's a harder worker, you know, American just out of school or a hardworking immigrant that just came here or spent, uh, risked their lives to get here. And the hard worker is the, the immigrant, but they're not allowed to. And they risk being arrested and deported if they if they do so. It's a it's always a huge stress for them. But my gosh, just get out of the way and let people hire them. And, and it would benefit the people who want to hire them too. I'm not going to be able to find the article on the fly, um, but I did have an article months ago saved for show prep uh, just to counter that point. And the, the headline of the article, now this was the, this was the UK, so I don't know how, how much it impacts the United States. May, again, maybe it's just a cultural difference, right? But the, the refugee migrants in the UK uh, started violently protesting when they were kicked out of the hotels that they have been staying at rent-free for years. Yeah, because that's what they know how to do. <laughs> no, I get it. But they, they weren't seeking jobs, right? They didn't go they, there to work. They, they probably weren't allowed. I don't know. So that's so it's it's the it's the same thing of the government creating a problem for itself to solve. Like it's, understood, it's, but they even if they were allowed, right? Or even if they weren't allowed, they were still on. You know, they weren't pro, they weren't protesting. Let us have jobs. Let us work. You know, they no, were saying. Why would you? What if you're given everything for free? Why would you? protest to, to work so you don't the suffer is, the it, indignity of uselessness <laughs> that's that's overrated <laughs> most people are fine being useless <laughs> okay i'm just saying like that's that's a, but that's supposed to be it 
right? If you if no, you're, that's if, not it. If you're going to claim that they're hardworking and they want to come here and better themselves, but you have the welfare system in place where they don't have to, and then no, they don't. They don't have to. Is they can't. They're everywhere in these countries, supposedly to protect the, the labor unions because of the result of the labor unions. Okay. Uh, the labor unions don't want the competition. Yeah, no, I get it. But then Otherwise, they're not. There wouldn't be laws. Then they're not Otherwise, the hardest working because they're fine just getting on the welfare system. They would be if the welfare system wasn't there. And yeah, and also fair. if if it was if they weren't required to. So basically they 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 call themselves the progressives say oh we're a sanctuary city and and to virtue signal how great they are they say come to our city and live in our slum in our in our uh facility for 20,000 people and you know in 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 a the poor part of Chicago and and we we hope the locals don't hate you you know it's yeah. like you're creating this horrible situation where they could just say uh, come here, find a job if you want, or, you know, don't come here. We don't care. That would yeah. be more ideal. Like my, my boss told me a story about one of our ex-employees. She left before I got there. Um, and apparently he's either in contact with her or was in contact with her for a brief period of time after she left. Uh, but she decided that the best way to take care of her kids was to get on government assistance. And so she has like a housing allowance and $4,000 in welfare per month which is oh, congrats, which is more than I make. <laughs> right. I, I'm pretty sure it's more than he makes. Right. And he's like, can you believe that they let her do this? And I said, like, it looks like she found the cheat code, man. The question is not, you know, why would they, why would she do that? The question is why aren't you right? If you could, <laughs> if you could get $4,000 a month plus a house, right. And didn't have to do anything like didn't have to go to work. Why would you choose to go to work? Right. Why, why would anybody make that choice? And for, for, you know, people who want to be uber wealthy and uber rich, well, the, it's because you can get more out of entrepreneurship, right? There's, there's, that's where the money's made and most people possibly. won't do it. Go ahead. Yeah, possibly. I mean, who's on a scale of like wealthy to not wealthy, right? Where would, where would you put, you know, where, where are all, how are all the ultra wealthy people getting ultra wealthy? It's not people on government assistance. Well, I mean, at, so, at some point, they, those people are outliers, but um, it just depends. Like, how how wealthy are you talking about? <laughs> well, if, you, if so, you, some people some people would consider somebody making six figures very wealthy, not anymore. Like that's well, an, that's the thing that you're asking. Yeah, I saw an interesting program on sixty Minutes that talked about how the ultra wealthy are the people who are scamming the the Medicare system for millions and millions of dollars just you know come up with a, a list of patients submit uh, claims and get millions of dollars then uh, burn the the pharmacy and move on to another one that there were thousands of them just in miami who were sure. doing this and so they i think they overall estimated about 60 billion dollars built from the from the medicare system well it's easy to get become a millionaire off of the scams of government programs and they what they, they recently came out with these reports about how incredibly bad the covid handouts were being monitored and a lot of people made fortunes off of that stuff so yeah i'd say that was uh, the entrepreneur path to riches okay i mean yes if you if you're talking about um scam if you're talking about scams sure that's that's one way to get rich or bilking the government that's another way you know the 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 corporate welfare is a short path uh, 
but if, if you want to be a millionaire or a billionaire, right, you're, you're not going to work your way there as a frontline employee how, or even... How do, we, how do we get on this conversation? Because we, we went from talking about how, how do we get four <laughs> grand a month to how do you become a millionaire? Like this is two, two different things. Most people are not worried about becoming a millionaire. Well, like then that's it's, just not even part of their like, like yeah, thought process. My, my point was the only people that would turn down four grand a month and a free house to not work at all are the people who want to be rich. Which is few people. Okay, that's fine. I'll agree with that. But then why, why would you say that they come here, hardest workers on the planet, but then you, you give them a handout and they turn just as lazy as everybody else? Because they're human. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> also fair, right? Well, but no, I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to demonstrate that you're a hard of, worker, you got to fucking work hard. Well, part of that, that scenario is that they went, they took extraordinary risks I mean, imagine traveling from, from Venezuela and leaving there in the first place because they, they didn't leave there, ah, oh, just we're going to go off on a vacation. No, they left because of years of absolute de desperate poverty and oppression. And then they trudged off through Colombia and then through the, the Darien Pass in, in uh, Panama and, and underwent, I don't know how many... Uh, shakedowns and and uh, i mean making making it to the united states is a tremendous task it wasn't uh, just getting on an airplane like most people and and flying there and getting you know um saying now i'm gonna look for a hotel no it was an extraordinary task people take those risks for um are not just out on a uh, you know a train ride they're having a, a gravy train ride they're they're expecting to be able to do something when they get there or when they can't because they say, well, they're told right, right at the, at the entrance. And okay, well, if we may just, usually they were just being deported, but if they weren't being deported, they were being told, well, you dare not work or else we'll, then we'll deport you. Okay. You're told not to work. Um, I mean, and somebody then offers you a handful of cash. I can't think of many people who would turn that down. Yeah, I get it. That's, that's the point. Why would they turn it down? They they well, they that, come here they come here to get a better life away from the poverty that they're experiencing in their home country, and then in certain places, obviously not Chicago, right? They're handed a wad of cash to do nothing, and then the the you know American citizens get upset. Look at these dirty Mexicans, these lazy lazy dirty Mexicans. They come here just for the welfare, and that may not have been the goal upon leaving, right? But that is the result that they see well yeah and of course it builds resentment against immigrants when in fact if you didn't have the welfare you didn't have the obstacles to jobs they'd be taking jobs and producing a better life for for everybody and they'd be appreciated instead of resented yeah that's my point you can't you know it's not that they come and that they're they're you know innately hard working they're human beings they're just like everybody else right well, no they they would be working if they were allowed to sure so my boss, my again, I'll talk about my boss. My boss gets mad when I bring, when I say like the goal of all workers, right, is maximum pay for minimal effort. Why wouldn't no, it be? I don't think it is. Why not? You don't want the most amount of money for the least amount of effort? No, for well, it's for some, but for a lot of people. Now keep in mind, everybody's different, but some people work because they enjoy it because they are learning skills they they see a future for them of advancement of promotion of uh, opportunity of new people i mean work isn't just a matter of uh 
time you put in, time and effort you put in. It's a matter of um, aspiration and striving. That's, you don't you don't think what, people can be social outside of work? You don't think they can? You don't think that they could do it, all those things really, that they enjoy as a hobby? It really it really depends on how you define work. Like if if work is just work with with nothing else that that KS said, then then sure that's what it would become. It'd be, it's just how, how how much little can I put in? How much can I? How much gain can I get? And if there's another person across the street that is offering more for the same amount of work, then you go there. And if there's yeah. another person across the street from them that says, hey, we'll give you the same amount of pay and you, you, you can do less work, then you go there. You go there. And then, so, but that's, that's not reality. That's, it's, uh, I mean, it is for a well, lot of people. How is that not reality? That's why people leave jobs be, all the time. Because like KS said, there's, there's different reasons why people do what they do. And some people enjoy the work they do. So... And if, and the, so and, they enjoy the work they do, they'll take less pay rather than maybe. take more pay and just do that work as a hobby. And maybe they'll take less pay until they figure out how to do it really good, and then eventually they make more doing right. it. Because it's not just the task of the job. They're also building a reputation and also a sense of personal pride. Uh, you know, like if if I'm a hard worker, I'm more likely to get recognized by the, the, the manager and, and get promoted. Or I'm more likely to be, um, I mean, there, there are every kind of worker. You know, some people are just out for the least amount of effort for the most amount of pay. But, I mean, if you're a manager and you see that person versus the other person, you're clearly not going to promote them on to a more responsible job. You're going to promote the guy who's self-driven. If you're going to promote at all. Right? There's there was- plenty of promotion that's happening all around the, the economy all the time. Because they need people to, there's people who are retiring and there's people expanding and there's people converting from one kind of work to another. Sure. Again, and I don't, I don't have the article in the front market. of me, but there was an article over the last couple of weeks where companies were lamenting uh, that their turnover wasn't high enough. People weren't quitting their jobs and they need those people to quit and they don't want to look bad for firing them. <laughs> well, that's a personal problem. <laughs> but it's an, it, but it's, it was industry-wide. This was not like, you know, mom and pop shop A. This was, you know, how we, if, if our upper management doesn't leave, there's no well, promotional know, that, opportunity for the lower people. That just shows you how much, you know, wokeism and, and uh, what, was, what was the word I used earlier? Um, uh, uh, virtue signaling. Is. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, you, you, if, if, if your job is requires you to fire some people, then that's your job. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but it wasn't requiring, they don't want, they don't want to look bad. Right. Cause yeah, they, that's it. firing people is a demotivator, but they, they really need people to quit so that they can <laughs> shake up the teams and promote people up into management positions. But you can't promote if the manager's still there. So we really need to get Ted the fuck out of here so that we can give <laughs> Susie a chance. Right. That's, that's, that's the problem that these companies are having. That's, that's a still a virtue signaling problem. Though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to look bad is. And well, it's yeah. not a demot- demotivator. I mean, it, if somebody's going to lose their job for not performing, that's a big motivator to everybody else around them. It can be. I, okay. So again, at, at my job, we've got a guy and he underperforms on a daily and weekly basis. And then we go like, we're making cuts. And all of a sudden he's up to par. <laughs> or better than yeah i go yeah. we know we know you can do the job we know you're just lazy you know <laughs> how long do you think this can actually go on where your job <laughs> is like constantly in jeopardy for you to actually like do the job right yeah but he, that's, that's the only time ser- he does it 
a serial procrastinator too. Um, there, there's people that, that like, you know, uh, taking, taking that risk, you know, pushing things to the edge, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this, this is not that kind of job, but yeah, I mean, you could, <laughs> I, I was that in school, right. I'm generally not that anymore. Um, cause it doesn't, you know, I don't like, I no longer like waiting to the last minute to get stuff done. Like, you know, let's let, you know, which is why, uh, you know, for this podcast, right. I was like, I did it a day early for the last three weeks because I wanted more time today because of the other things that I have going on. So I'm like, you know, my, as soon as I have an opening, right. I fill it with something of some importance generally. Right. Like yesterday it's like, okay, I had yesterday afternoon off. Wasn't going to do the show. Like that's the day to take my car into the shop to get the tires. So that's what I did. Right. Like I, I am good at prioritizing and adulting, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I'm also impressed by others who do the same. But some, you know, if you, if you're going to procrastinate until the last minute, you know, eventually you're going to get burned and getting burned at work is probably like, you know, the least opportune time uh, for that to happen. Or like, okay, you're procrastinating and you're fired, but bring, but bringing, but bringing them here or allowing them to come here, migrants back to the migrants and then handing them the wad of cash, you're not going to get the result of like the hardworking migrant. Uh, that you've seen, and I—that's true. And I, I also want to to suggest again, at least for the current generation of people, um, the idea of hard work within a company pays off uh, is either no longer the case, or they don't believe it, and so that's what has manifest, right? Like they're they're not looking to get promoted at their job; they just move jobs, and I think they're. I think they're making the correct judgment and assessment uh, because again, in my experience through what is now, you know, over 20 years in the workforce, uh, the company does not give a shit about you. Like I've, I've worked for any number of companies, a lot of them, you know, family owned and we're, we're a family, 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 family. Uh, but they, they will, they will be quick to pull the plug uh, if, you know, if, if it benefits them. Right. And so the whole like, ah, you know, be, be respectful and give your employer two weeks notice because, you know, they deserve it. Well, no, because when they fire you, you will get zero notice. Right. You will be told your services are no longer required. And that's the end of it. I'd say there are all kinds of business uh, cultures and attitudes and all. And so and there are will be anecdotes of of every kind of case. Um, My research on the data of where people go for both the migrants, domestic-born and native uh, and uh, uh, foreign-born residents, overwhelmingly, the movement of population is from states with the highest welfare to the states with the lowest welfare. Overwhelmingly, now there are always people going in the other direction, and there they could be cited as the headline article in the newspaper. But by and large, people go to the low welfare states. Why? Because the taxes are lower and there's a lot more job opportunities. They do that because it's a um, better opportunity. Yeah, but who's making that move, right? It's the, the big ones, you know, the big ones of note of recently is Elon Musk, the ultra wealthy, moving out of California into Texas. So he's not compelled to pay those taxes. And Joe Rogan for the same reason. Well, the, overwhelmingly, the, the population movements in the United States are from California and New York, high tax states to Texas and Florida, the low tax states. Right. And I, I got the, that. Yeah. But who's, 
my my question is who's making the move if it's if it's wealthy if it's wealthy individuals or upper middle class people or established established families right that that number one can afford to make the move and are next net taxpayers then it makes sense but if you're telling me that people who are on welfare are giving up their government handouts to try their hand at Florida and Texas I would I would question those results no, probably not. The, the people, as, as long as they're getting their welfare and they don't have to do anything, then they'll probably stay there until the welfare runs out. Yeah. Eventually it'll run out. <laughs> well, and, and that's, and so it's not, it's not hard working migrants that are moving from welfare to low tax states to get the benefits of low taxes, right? It's people looking to escape the high taxes and obviously, you know, selfishly, which is fine, right? Don't care about the tax burden they're leaving behind. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're trying to tell me that people are selfish. I guarantee you people are selfish. That's <laughs> okay. That, I'm, that's I'm, I'm not given. arguing with it. <laughs> yeah, no problem there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course people are going to uh, take the money if, if they're offered it usually. Yeah. And uh, I don't blame them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only person to blame is the guy who takes the money uh from a taxpayer to give it out, you know, the, the politician, the intermediary who, who does this and the people who vote for them. And that's across the board everywhere because yeah. both Democrats and Republicans do that all the time. Uh, no matter what they pontificate, they're all voting for the, the, the same basic kind of system. And they are the ones responsible for it. Not the person who's accepting it, but the person who's is um, the intermediary taking it from the taxpayer by force and giving it uh, out as a handout to look popular. Yeah. E- even the guy they referenced in the article, right? He wasn't, he's not, he's not moving back to Venezuela because it's a better situation. He's like, well, I'm on the street in Chicago. I might as well also be on the street in Venezuela because at least my mom is there. Right. It's, it's the same opportunity. He just has family closer by. I found it interesting that they were all able to sleep in the police uh, station. <laughs> well, so you're going to put them. Well, if I you mean, put them on the street, they're going to get arrested and taken to the police station. And, I'd much and, rather be sleeping in a, uh, on the floor of a police station than out in the cold, um, get likely yeah. to get robbed by, by someone. So I thought it was great that the police station had a room for them or place for them. I mean, we're, we're not going to get to it today, but the, the other headline that we had, right? L.A. wants to commandeer vacant hotel rooms to use as homeless housing. Right. Where are you going to put them? Well, they're only 90% occupied tonight. So let's use up the other 10% to get people off the streets. Why is the focus on that rather than how do we get these people, you know, work permits or just, you know, driver's licenses and, uh, you know, the ability to get a job, you know, social security numbers, whatever they need. Because sometimes they just don't want it and you can't help those people. I don't think it's that they don't want it. (laughs) Yeah. the way to find out is allow them to do it. Yeah. I mean, if they're not allowed, of course, then you can't find out if they, if they want to do it and just allow them and then see what happens. You know, that, that may be true, but if if you're talking about homeless people, right, they, they fell on hard times at some point and failed to recover and failed to garner the assistance necessary to recover. And sometimes you can offer them the assistance later and they'll take it. Right. But some of them just either can't or won't, or won't you know? Won't jump through the hoops necessary to do it. Uh, another another quick one from the boss, um, because he's a former Baptist pastor, and he has a story about benevolence. 
and how when he was pastoring a church, he kept having to go back to the church to give them to get money from the parishioners uh, to help the families in need. And they kept running out of money because people kept asking for money. And so his bishop or whatever pulled him aside and said, like, look into the stories of benevolence in the Bible and see what you think. We're not going to tell you how to run your church, but just just take a look. Uh, it turns out that the, there's not much benevolence in the Bible, right? You got to fucking work to get that shit. So <laughs> they, they, he made it a policy that anyone who wanted some benevolence from the church uh, had to do some work around the church at 10 bucks an hour. And this was like in the 70s or whatever. So that, that carried further than it does today. Um, and soon thereafter, nobody needed a handout because it's not about the work. It's about getting the free handout. And if you're getting the, if you're getting the free handout and you don't have to work, People are not motivated to work. And so, if, you know, if, all, if their basic subsistence is needed at the shelter uh, and the soup kitchen and they're fine with their lot, uh, then there's, they're not, you're not going to get them to move very far. Final thoughts? No, thanks. All right, that'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. 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 <laughs>